Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Welcome back everyone to Savage to Sage. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Greg Cryos, the CEO and founder of 250OK, which was acquired recently, and also is starting something new that he might tell, give you a little bit of preview for. So welcome, Greg. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, why don't you give us kind of a what you're willing to share of just what you're working on now, I know, and what you were doing with 250OK before that. Yeah. So at 250OK, we kind of built an email intelligence platform, had a bunch of different tools um, that really helped email marketers and, and really email senders of all sizes and types understand what was happening to their mail. So it was everything from inbox placement to understanding their reputation, which impacts their inbox placement, to some additional analytics, to uh, DMARC tools that help protect their domain from uh, phishing attacks, to list validation type stuff and hygiene to make sure they have valid uh, addresses on their list and can validate uh, addresses when people come to their site and register and you know, this whole variety of tools that really help them be more successful and, and ultimately send mail that, that people want to receive. As you said, we were acquired uh, about a year ago, just a little over a year ago by Validity. And I'm still helping Validity as an advisor and, and ambassador uh, for them in the email community. And I'm working on a, on a new project, still involved in, in email and uh, really aimed at more of the uh, you know privacy type angle, so keeping it a little tight lip for now, but uh, should have some news soon. Awesome! Look forward to hearing that news. So, take us back in your journey to the beginning. You know, when you decided, like, I'm going to start this company. I'm going to step out as an entrepreneur. Tell that story. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's kind of wild and non-traditional path, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I've been surrounded by entrepreneurs most of my life. Um, had a couple of family members that were successful entrepreneurs, you know, friends, parents that were entrepreneurs. And, you know, it was just something that was always drawn, that I was always drawn to, you know, it, just kind of watching, you know, their life versus, you know, my parents who worked, you know, kind of traditional you know, jobs at companies and and watching uh, both of their experiences. My, my father worked in a factory, you know, for 38 years and, and was a union guy. You know, my mom had spent a number of years at, at Blue Cross and uh, lost her job, you know, after I don't know how many, you know, years, uh, you know, right before, you know, kind of early retirement. And I watched her you know, struggle after that and have to work, you know, two or three jobs to replace that that one. And, you know, I always just felt that being an entrepreneur might give me a little more, you know, control over my my destiny. Not sure if that's true or not, but uh, it, it sure <laughs> made me feel that way. And so I also knew in, in some of my career path that being involved with big companies wasn't for me either. You know, I like to just do things. And so the bigger the company gets, the more structure, the more 
rules and and you know you have to kind of keep everybody in their lane and you have meetings to have meetings i'm like well, we could have just done this already so you know I, I knew that that wasn't for me either and uh a really good friend of mine was the original architect of exact target so kind of got to see him build the first iteration of exact target met the three founders when you know they really just had an idea and and no customers and you know slowly just watched them grow and kept tabs on them. And, and the thing that I was most impressed with was just the culture that, that they created. You know, I was used to a culture that was very, you know, strict where it's like, these are your hours. This is when you need to be here. This is how much time you have for lunch. And, you know, with exact targets, it was very much a, you know, Hey, you're an adult, you're responsible, you know, get it done whenever. And so I just thought that was, that was pretty cool. So, you know, went to work there and it was easy to be inspired by, you know, the founders of that company and, you know, kind of what they were doing and, and again, how they were doing it. Um, so kind of fell in love with this email problem of, you know, deliverability and, and, you know, understanding all perspectives of it, you know, the perspectives of the mailbox providers, you know, the, the Gmails, Yahoo's, AOL's, Hotmail's of the world, um, as well as the brands who, you know, weren't trying to be bad guys. They weren't trying to have those people, you know, upset with them or irritated with them, but, you know, we're just doing some some of the wrong things uh, that were getting them in trouble and, and getting them blocked. You know, it just seemed like a problem that really fit my skill set. So spent, you know, a few years at Exact Target, uh, left there and uh, kind of stumbled in the world of consulting. You know, and then next thing I know, I was kind of running my own, you know, consulting practice and, and that took off and did really well. And it was always just in the back of my head that, uh, you know, I wanted to, you know, potentially pursue a path as a as an entrepreneur on a, on a bigger scale. And, and as I kind of navigated through like, okay, these are the tools I need for, for my clients. And uh, this is the information I need the the tools I used, you know, honestly weren't, I always saw room for improvement. You know, some of them were, were good, but they weren't great. You know, as a couple of them, you know, got acquired, you know, during my journey as a consultant, it kind of left one player. I think I have better ideas. I had no idea how to start a company. I had no idea, you know, what made a, a good operating agreement. I had no idea how to raise money. You know, I had built, uh, a friend of mine built version one of a tool, you know, for me and I got them to, you know, a client to pay me for it and kind of putting that contract together. I met an attorney who, you know, said, Hey, what are you doing with this idea? And I'm like, well, I mean, this is just kind of like one piece of it. I have a much bigger idea. And he was like, well, you know, are you going to chase it? Are you going to do anything with it? I'm like, well, I don't know how. You know, and so he kind of helped me through, you know, some of those early steps. And, and luckily I had, you know, some good relationships with former, you know, exact target executives and, and other people that, you know, I could say, hey, is this right? Is this wrong? I read through this. This doesn't seem right. But is it standard? Will this help me raise money? Will that, you know, hinder me in the future? I don't know what's standard or uh, or anything else. So, you know, it was very, you know, self-aware and kind of knew. I wasn't afraid to admit what I don't know. And I said, hey, I, you know, I'm kind of an email nerd by training. I don't know, you know, how to start companies and, and do this other stuff. And, uh, you know, luckily I surrounded myself with some of those people that could, you know, kind of guide me in the, you know, stages of that. Yeah, that's awesome. So what were those early days like when you think about Savage? You know, typically it's like working way too many hours. Like describe like the early days when you first stood up the company. Um, <laughs> terrifying, <laughs> honestly, you know, uh, I think everybody's scared of failing, uh, to a degree. Right. And, 
I was certainly afraid to fail, didn't want to fail, you know, wasn't paying myself, you know, we didn't raise a lot of money. I didn't, you know, I always thought it would be acquired. So I wanted to hold on, you know, to as much equity as I could. Uh, I was still doing a bit of consulting, you know, on the side and kind of winding down, you know, that practice. But you you kind of start realizing, like, I think I'm doing this wrong. I pay to go to work. Most people go to work to get paid, you know, but I was always working with the end goal in mind of, you know, doing everything I could to up the valuation and protect equity and, you know, um, try to raise money, you know, down the road if we need it, uh, if we had a good plan for it. So, yeah, I mean, when people say it's blood, sweat and tears, it, it really is. I mean, it's, it's all of those things. And, and to your point, you know, you work uh, a ton of hours, you don't get paid well. And, you know, if at all, in some cases like mine and, you know, but you, you believe in what you're doing, you just keep going. You know, one of the things I've always said about myself is, you know, I'm too stubborn to listen and too stupid to quit. So, you know, there are plenty of times where, you know, I'm getting these great job offers from awesome companies with big salaries and, you know, you know, they're public companies and lots of stock. And, and I'm like, no, I, and I'm not even paying myself. I'm paying to go to work, you know, and, you know, you start wondering like about your sanity, right? Like how, how smart am I? I don't think, you know, this, you know, am I doing this right? And, of course, the way it turned out and looking back, you know, you're like, yeah, I made the right decision. But, you know, to me, that was always, you know, my safety net, my OK, if I fail, I know that I'm going to go get a great job somewhere. It's not like I'm going to have to hunt for one or that I'm going to go homeless or any of those you know, other things. And you know, for me, I think the decision was easier because I was single. I didn't have kids. You know, I think for, you know, people that, uh, you know, have families, that pressure is even higher you know, to kind of take that leap and, you know, take a risk. Yeah. So you've mentioned like a couple things that you, you learned about yourself early on, especially, you know, you weren't afraid to admit what you don't know, like, you know, too stubborn to listen, but what were, um, what would you say were the key self-awareness insights that you learned about yourself, especially in the early days? You know, I I like to think I'm a pretty self-aware person and pretty critical of, of myself and, and brutally honest about things I'm good at and not good at. So, you know, I actually went into it saying like, I'm great with product vision and also with relationships. I think I can be a good operator, but I'm not sure that that's what I should be doing. I don't think that's the best use of my time. So, you know, I was at least aware enough to say, these are the people that I need to surround myself with for this to be successful. And this should be my lane. The other thing I was super aware of is I'd seen other entrepreneurs that had great ideas, their timing in the market I felt was perfect, you know, but they couldn't delegate well. You know, they they couldn't, you know, get out of their own way. And because it's so important to them, you know, personally, professionally, for all those reasons, because it's their baby, you know, it, it's hard for them to get out of their own way. And that just doesn't scale. And, and so I was always hyper conscious of that as well and just trying to empower you know, people under underneath me, but was never afraid to roll up my sleeves and do whatever work, you know, needed to be done. And in some ways, I kind of missed, you know, being a consultant where I'm analyzing data and and talking to customers and working with them on strategy and just, you know, kind of rolling up your sleeves and, and getting your hands dirty versus, you know, thinking, you know, one year out, three years out, five years out, strategically, where do we need to be? Who should we be aligned with? Trying to keep your you know, your mind and, and hands and eyes and ears on, on an industry where, 
you know, you kind of think, you know, who's moving where and, and why and how that can be beneficial to you. And, and thinking out there, you know, it's, it's going from, you know, kind of that, whatever, 10,000, 30,000, 50,000 foot view down into the weeds at some point. And at some point, you know, you, you kind of miss that and you miss that, you know, direct interaction and, and kind of being in the weeds. But yeah, for me, I, I think uh, I've always been pretty self-aware and knew this is what I'm good at. This is kind of what makes me happy. And if this is going to work, I need these other people to handle these parts, you know, the business. Yeah, that's good. So you, you mentioned something there, just getting out of your own way. And then also you're indicating, you know, like I really have to delegate and trust a team. And so thinking about those first people you brought onto your team at 250. Okay. And then, I mean, it might be even relevant for trying to build your team now. Like, how do you think about who are those like first people to bring onto my team? What, what characteristics are you looking for with them? You know, so our journey was at 250 was a little bit different in that at first it was myself, another guy and uh, an engineer. And then it was just myself and, and an engineer, you know, for, you know, longest time because we're trying to just build a, a you know, a platform, you know, and we knew in, in such a small industry, what we could never map out was that if we took a ton of capital, how would we intelligently deploy it? How would moving any faster would that gain us any more market share? We didn't feel like, you know, that was really the case. You know, it wasn't until we took, you know, a, you know, another round of investment where I met Ryan Feniger and Alex Griffiths and, you know, they were starting engineering services company. And then they had some other partners on a, um, you know, kind of fund side and, and, you know, they were coming together to launch this new, you know, kind of investment strategy where they believed it wasn't just dollars, you know, that most companies and or startups in Indianapolis needed. They also needed, you know, a lot of tech help. You know, you know, I, I spoke with Michael Cloran at Developer Town, you know, when I was first, you know, looking to launch. And I just knew that we had to build so many other things that I really felt strongly that I needed it in-house. And that's why I didn't go with kind of an outsourced uh, solution, even though I was really impressed with kind of what they were doing. And you know, some other groups in the city as well were, were really impressive, but I just felt, man, I, I kind of really need this in-house. I need them, you know, invested in, in really what I'm doing. And so as I met Ryan and Alex, uh, we were the first company they invested in and, you know, really just started to grow. And I think they saw the opportunity like, look, instead of us, you know, doing this for a bunch of companies and just kind of getting it to a point moving on. And we also really got along well personally. They're like, yeah, let's just come on full time and, and do this together. And so that worked really well. But you know, as we hired at, at 250OK, I said, you know, there are really just two things I, I look for in people. You know, one were, you know, the unders, people that have been underestimated, undervalued, underappreciated. You know, those people kind of have a chip on their shoulder and, and something to prove, right? They're going to work really hard and, you know, typically don't care much about, you know, opinions. You know, they just really have something to prove. And the other were just GSDs, people that get shit done. I think those two qualities are really the strongest things you need in the early days. But, you know, I also realized at my time at Exact Target that certain people, even like me, were just good at certain stages of a business. Other people are, are good at other stages. Some people may be comfortable in that, you know, 300 to 1,000 person range, you know, and helping a company grow there. Other people are better, you know, a 1,000 person, you know, plus. You know, I knew that I'm good up until, you know, probably that 300 person point, maybe even a little earlier. Yeah, I just don't like dealing with with the politics. I just want to do things and 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 move on. So you know, yeah, it's just kind of understanding you know that as well. But we were fifty four people 
you know, I think when we sold and we took a, again, a completely different approach to our competitor who was, you know, very well funded, had, I think at one point, like over 500, you know, employees and, you know, yeah, we just stayed really focused on, on people that, you know, we also realized early on that it was almost better for us to pick people that had a strong email background or none at all. Kind of that in the <laughs> middle seemed to be really tough for us, right? You know, because they had just enough bad habits or misinformation that it was hard to, you know, kind of course correct them and get them educated uh, versus the people who, you know, were highly knowledgeable. Again, such a small industry for us. We kind of knew a lot of those people, you know, and, and you know, sometimes we missed out on really good people that I wanted to come, you know, work for us because timing wasn't right or, or whatever. Um, you know, and then in other cases, you know, the timing worked out great for us and we, we got some really good people that I never thought, you know, I'd have a chance at, at hiring. Um, so that worked out well. But then, you know, we also took a lot of people that knew very little to nothing about email and kind of turned them into to nerds and, and, you know, didn't really try to push our view of email on them. We were just like, hey, go out, you know, for yourself, research this. This is where we stand on these things. This is kind of why we do some of the things we do. But I was never afraid to be challenged internally either. Um, I thought that was, you know, healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what was that compelling mission or story that you used to like draw people in? You know, I think everybody just, it was just kind of easy to say like, what's your personal email experience like with brands? You know, are you getting mail that you like? Do you trust the mail, you know, from them? Do you know it's not a fish? Do you know, you know, are they... Are they doing a really good job of, you know, getting your permission, setting expectations, you know, delivering on those expectations? Or do you, you know, kind of get, you know, a bit of panic when you log into your mailbox and you see all this promotional mail and you're like, what the hell? Like, I don't want 90 some odd percent of this. It's just terrible. And so, you know, for us, it was, you know, we really, you know, we're kind of on a mission, you know, and what I always said is I want to measure our success by, our friends and family won't even know that we're in the background, but when they have a great email experience with a brand, I want that brand to be using our platform, that we gave them the, the data and the intelligence to be better marketers. And, you know, if it could change the just the average person's experience, I think we did a good job. For that that team that you were building, was there a characteristic in people that you saw like stick around and really give themselves fully to the mission, it sounds like, I mean, you mentioned like they are, they're unders, they're also like the people that work their butt off. Like, what was there anything else that you've found as like common characteristics of people that were really committed to staying? Yeah, you know, in, in being 100% honest, you know, we just had really good people. Uh, I mean, just really good people. So Probably my, my proudest moments came, uh, we started doing team week. So out of 54 people, we had probably half here in the India office. We had a team of roughly seven or eight in Brazil. We had a guy in India. We had a guy in Canada and the rest were kind of dispersed throughout the U.S. And so, you know, once a year, you know, usually I think in August, uh, we'd get together, fly everybody in and we just spend a week together. And, you know, for me, the best part would be you know, kind of taking a step back and just watching these people, some of which I'd known through the industry, you know, for 15 plus years now, right? Almost 20 years and watching them interact. And then even, you know, we were always looking to, you know, hire within people's personal network, whether they're friends or their family. And and so, 
you know, when you see kind of those worlds combine, you know, where you're like, oh, I've known this person through my personal life and they're, I know they're really talented, but they're also just a really good person. They're fun and, and, you know, smart and just all these great things. And then combine that with people you knew from your, you know, professional life and you see those worlds, you know, kind of come together. I was just really special and, and cool, but, you know, yeah, we just had a, a really good group of human beings, uh, honestly. And, and a lot of it just, you know, came natural. Yeah. So that week that you were together, I'm curious to know more about that. Like, was it work related, per- like fun related? Like what, what did Both. you do? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's funny and, and, you know, especially it's always funny when people say, oh, you're a startup. I'm like, well, what defines that? Is it time? Is it number of employees? Is it revenue? Like, when do we lose that? Because I think there's a point where it's not cool anymore. It's like, guys, we've you know been around you know seven eight years now. I don't think we're a startup anymore. You know, uh, you know, we we do millions of dollars a year in revenue. You know, I, I don't know that that's a startup. So when do we, you know, kind of kind of lose that? But um, no, when you're in that stage, you, you there is no life, you know, separation. And I work from home as a consultant, and I kind of equate it to to this, you know. And when I first started doing it, uh, and this is what 2007. You know, people were like, oh, my God, you get to work from home. That's got to be awesome. And for the f- first, like, four to six months, it's pretty cool. You know, you're like, yeah, you know, all that extra time that I had to spend in the car and getting ready and this and that, I don't have to do that anymore. And then, you know, back then it was still a lot of conference calls. It wasn't as much like video conferences, right? So it's like, yeah, I can just take that shower later, you know, or I can <laughs> sleep in a little bit more today. Uh, you know, whatever it is, it was, it was a little bit easier. But you get to a point where you kind of miss you know, human interaction, right? It's like, God, I just miss being around people, even people I don't like. And, you know, you start going to, you know, Starbucks or, you know, wherever you can to, to be around people. But your home kind of becomes this place where it's one blended mess. It's not your office. So you're not completely in work mode while you're there. You're probably doing, if you're like me, you're like, oh, I can just, you know, do that laundry while I'm, you know, on this conference call. I can do, you know, these other things. Your life just gets really, you know, blended together. You know, in the early stages of a company, you're working so much and, you know, you're so focused on that you don't have that separation either. Right. And so it's just one kind of blended mess. But no, we took a very conscious effort to every night organize, you know, something kind of official, you know, for a couple hours, usually dinner, drinks, you know, maybe, you know, something fun um, as well. And then afterwards, we just kind of let people go out and do their things. They would always, you know, break off into into little groups. But it was it was fun to just see even the you know, for the people that lived here in Indy, you know, that have families, you know, they, you know, were even like, oh no, you know, my husband or my wife is gonna watch kids. I told them I'm out all week, you know, some of them even, you know, we even offer to get them hotel rooms, you know, if they say, hey, look, if you guys are gonna be out, you know, I, I recognize the value of again, there's only and you know, we use Slack internally probably like everybody else in the world did, you know, and uh you know, you can only develop relationships so much through this kind of medium, right? And and so when you do have the opportunity to get together, I was like, look, let's just, you know, try to get rooms for even the indie people. It's not, we shouldn't penalize them, you know, because they live here, right? If they want to go out and have fun and, you know, it's probably harder on them too to say, you know, to go home and tell their husband, hey, you know, uh, I'm not going to be home till two or three in the morning because I'm out you know, having a good time with these guys, I get to see once a year, maybe twice a year, whatever, whatever it may be. So, you know, I always felt that time was, was super valuable. It was, you know, money well spent, you know, for us. And, 
you know, uh, you know, we never measured, you know, kind of any impact. I don't even know if you can measure it, but you can just see it, you can feel it, and you just know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, that's such a good story, and I just love that idea too. It's something I want to, you know, consider as as we grow our our company, and you know, especially how much we've grown over the last year, and that we're remote first culture. I mean, I've noticed every time I get to see my colleagues, it's like. Oh, it's so great. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's hang out, you know? Um, yeah. And actually, you know, you look up and it's two in the morning and you're like, what happened? Yeah. You're just excited to see people and, and, you know, to be around them and, and to, you know, especially now for this last year, I think where we're all at and people, you know, haven't seen each other more. It's we're at least I'm a Midwesterner. I like hugging people, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, I want to do that again. And, and, you know, have that, that personal, you know, interaction. And so, yeah, it was hugely, hugely valuable for us. And honestly, it didn't cost us, you know, a ton. And even if we paid double, it was well worth it, you know, and you could just see it too in the momentum that would happen, you know, directly after and how well everybody worked together. And then, you know, and then you see it kind of, you know, just like things happen, you know, you, you come off that high and everybody's excited. And, you know, we would talk about, you know, kind of where the company is headed, how well we were doing. You know, it took us a while to get into, you know, a, a good habit of uh, you know, something exact target did, you know, extremely well. Um, this is something we just didn't do early on in the company. It was actually, you know, Andy Clark who who came in and, and put this together, you know, when he came as CEO. But just being really transparent with the employees on sales, revenue, uh, just all the things that we measured and giving them insight into, you know, how well you know we were doing, just being fully you know, transparent with them you know, was really huge, but, but doing that again, you know, during a, a week is awesome. And then for the individual departments that had remote people, it was good for them to break out, you know, as well and, you know, kind of do their thing. And, you know, so we, you know, just tried to keep it loosely structured as much as possible. And it's always a bit of a double-edged sword though, you know, too, right? Because salespeople, you know, still have to do calls and demos, you know, uh, account management people still have to talk to customers, support people are still, you know, answering tickets, you know, engineering team is still keeping the platform up and, and, you know, writing new code and fixing bugs and all that other fun stuff. Right. And so everybody still has to do their daily job, but you want to take advantage of, you know, the fact that, <clears throat> you know, we didn't get together that often. We didn't get to all see each other that often, you know, some of us got to see each other more than others from going to a lot of conferences and, and other things, but never all of us coming together, you know, at once. And so, you know, it was it was a hard balance, but you know, I give a, a ton of credit to our team, especially you know the marketing team that kind of put you know a lot of the agenda and stuff together. Yeah, they just did a phenomenal job for us. Yeah, I love that. I want to pivot the conversation too because um, this has been something I know we've talked about before. Of like, just for you as a, an entrepreneur and leader, you know, the mental health journey, um, I think is it's so key to you know, to every entrepreneur who's honest, you know, there's, there's a mental health impact of like the lifestyle and the, yeah. you know, the, the type of energy it requires to, you know, stand up and continue a business. I know you have a longer story around that, but I'm curious if you'd be willing to share just um, your journey from like the end of 250. Okay. To being acquired and then, you know, kind of being through the acquisition and now thinking of starting something new, what's, what's that been like for you, you know, just on the mental health journey, if, if you're open to sharing? Yeah, I'm always open to sharing. 
you know, so it, it's been interesting. And I, I say for me that, you know, everything has a silver lining, you know, to it. And so COVID has been a bit of a, a blessing, I think, for me in that when you're, you know, so focused and, and running so fast for so long, and then all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't full stop, but it was really slow down, you know, afterwards, you know, that's was a little harder, I think, for me to deal with than, than I thought. But it kind of helped that the world almost came to a halt, you know, at the same time. And so it's like, oh, okay, that makes it a little bit easier because there are more people whose, you know, lives were, you know, a little bit uncertain too, that they were trying to figure out like, okay, what's this going to mean, you know, for me temporarily? What's it going to mean for me, you know, long-term, you know, and I'll, I'll say, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people said, oh man, you sold the perfect time, you know, because of everything that happened. I don't know if there's a perfect time or not. I felt like we sold to the, to the right people. And, you know, while I think we would have, you know, done well through COVID, our, our business, I think would have thrived. People are sending more emails. You know, we were still, matter of fact, kind of our, our Q1 last year would have been our, our best quarter. Q2 looked like it would have been better than Q1, even though it was kind of inside, you know, validity. We were still at that point, you know, operating a little independently and slowly starting to integrate in. You know, for me, when you have, you know, that professional aspect of your life taking up so much time, it was always a place you could go get lost if you had difficulty in your personal life, that you could get distracted, that, oh, I, there's 8 million things to do. I just can go bury my head in that and I'll focus on that. And these other things can wait until, you know, I have the emotional capacity to, to deal with them. And so when that, you know, kind of goes away, you have nothing to distract yourself on. And, and it was kind of my North Star, you know, for so long. And, and so much of my life was dedicated, you know, to that. So, you know, selling for me was just really hard in that. And again, it was also really hard for, you know, I always wanted to make sure when I made the decision for me, it was, I was honestly the last part of the decision. You know, the, the first thing I, I looked at was, you know, do I think this is good for the employees? Will, will they be happy, you know, at Validity? And, you know, when I met Mark Briggs, the founder and CEO of Validity, you know, I remember Ryan was was with me, Andy was with me, and Ryan and I rode together and, and you know, we left that first meeting and we both kind of looked at each other like, okay, I didn't expect to like him that much. Um, you know, it was just, you know, you just, I kind of felt that, you know, right away. And then, as you go through due diligence, you get a chance to really you know, work with somebody and, and it's like, OK, let's see. You know, he said all these things. Let's see if he's going to be a man of his word. Let's see if you know, he's going to stick to you know, these things. And, you know, every opportunity that, that he had to to prove himself, you know, uh, as an honest guy, he did. And so, you know, that kind of helped and felt better about it. But even that that, you know, kind of two months or so of of, uh, you know, due diligence, it's hard you know, coming in to see all those people that are, you know, heads down and, and working hard. And, you know, they were so loyal and, and passionate to me and, you know, the company, the vision. It's like, man, I, I hope they trust me enough to know that I didn't do this, you know, just for me. I really felt this was the right decision for them. You know, I kind of looked at it, you know, the second piece was, did I feel it was good for our industry? And, you know, we had really battled our competitor, you know, pretty hard and, and we're a little aggressive. I feel good about the way that we did it. Uh, I felt that we were honest about, you know, the way that we did it, you know, but I always thought like, you know, there would be an opportunity for us to come together, you know, in some way. And it took a third party to do that, that I felt could be, you know, really good, you know, for the industry. So instead of these, you know, two companies really slugging it out, you know, they had some things which I thought were really smart and valuable. I thought, man, if we could just really 
combine these these teams. You know, I think we're good at a lot of things they're not. I think they're good at a lot of things that we're not. I think this could really work. And it, it took a guy like Mark, you know, launching a new company in Validity and, and coming to get both of us for that for that to happen. So, you know, that part aligned. You know, we didn't raise a lot of money, you know, so for us, the return for the investors was going to be great. So that was kind of the third thing. And then lastly, you know, did I think it was going to be good for me? You know, because in all honesty, I, I was, you know, really happy with a lot of things. And there were other things that were, I would say I was, you know, less happy about that I knew needed a change and maybe some structure of the business. You know, did we, how long if we keep going, will we need to recapitalize? Will it change? you know, the way that we operate the business, um, all these other things. So you know, that's kind of how I looked at, at making the decision. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, going through through that and then making that decision and then kind of losing, you know, that that thing that you wake up to aim at every day was really tough. And then like most people, I mean, you know, I have, you know, tons of friends that have been impacted by, you know, COVID that have, you know, lost their jobs or, you know, changed careers or, are now working from home and weren't prepared, you know, to, to do that. So in a given day, they go from being a spouse to a teacher, to uh, an employee, to a parent, to, and sometimes even in the course of 15 minutes, they're all of those things. Right. And, you know, that's impacted, you know, me as well. It's, it's hard to be happy about your success when, you know, you see so many people that, that are struggling. Right. And I know a lot of people in the service industry. And so, you know, initially it was tough for them, you know, being out of work for, you know, two or three months and, you know, being furloughed and, you know, some of them, you know, lost their, lost their jobs, you know, and, and, uh, you just have to believe that, you know, we're on the right path and that things are happening for a reason. And, you know, I believe all those things, whether, uh, other people do or not, but I know it's been, you know, difficult, you know, for a lot of people, but it's even more interesting. I think that, you know, in the, at least in the software world, even at our company, we were half remote, you know, anyway. And very early on in email, a guy who was one of our investors and board members, he had a company in California and most of their company was remote. So I got to see them operate a mostly remote company and the things that it took to be, you know, successful at that. But I think it was because they knew that that's how they were going to operate. So they had the proper support and infrastructure and processes in place for them to be successful you know, at, at exact target, it was just kind of one of those things where if you wanted to work from home for a day or two, you could, but, you know, they had an office, it was a great office. Uh, we all liked great culture. You know, so we all like being around each other, but there were times you're just like, I, I don't want people walking up to me at my desk today bothering me. I have to get this project work done. The only way I can do that is if I'm not here. Right. And so when it's flexible, I think it's a bit different versus, you know, now your home kind of becomes a place again, that you're, not quite in work mode, but you're not quite in relaxed mode. You're in this weird hybrid, uh, hybrid thing. But I think all those things, you know, over the last year have, have really brought mental health to kind of the top of, you know, the list on, on, you know, things that, you know, people need to deal with. And it's probably exposed uh, a lot of things that have been untalked about or, or, you know, uncomfortable to talk about, uh, for most people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate that story. And, um, I like to finish out every show asking what is it that you do to recharge i think of, when i think about mental health and i think about sustaining kind of the pace and the energy of you know a startup to scale up to in a company it requires like someone like you to really know okay what is what do i do to get out of the business to to recharge my battery like what what has that been for you 
you know, to be honest, I've, I, I just told Mark this, uh, like a couple weeks ago, literally Mark is really good at, if like there's a Monday holiday, he'll take Thursday and Friday off the week before. And he's like, I'm not going to have my phone. I'm going to be out on my sailboat, <laughs> you know, and with my guitar and I'm just going to be, you know, disconnected. And I was terrible at that. And so, you know, in all honesty, I, you know, did not do a good job of that at, at 250. Okay. You know, I just, I didn't. And it was always hard for me to disconnect. Even, you know, I was trying to hang out with friends, you know, in the evening or on weekends, I was always on my phone and they're like, dude, seriously, like, are you going to be here and hang out with us? Or do you just want to go hang out on your phone? You don't realize, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it. But in, in my mind, I'm like, oh man, this needs to get done. And I take pride on trying to give timely responses and put all this pressure on myself. But as I kind of launched this new one and as I realized, you know, kind of how exhausted I was, you know, kind of took this last year for me to, you know, really recharge after, you know, almost a decade of, you know, just kind of running and running and running. It, it made me realize like, no, I, I really do need to completely, you know, disconnect that stuff is still going to be there. I can deal with it later, but it was actually something I, I didn't do a good job of that uh, I'm, you know, more conscious and aware of and just trying different things that, you know, I find fun. You know, uh, it could be something as simple as, hey, you know what? Uh, I should go take a walk, you know, and, and do that to uh, working out to, you know, even taking a drive and just getting away, even maybe you know, just driving somewhere for the weekend and getting a hotel and just being complete you know, different scenery or, or whatever it may be. But uh, mm. yeah, it's, it's so critical. And I think especially early on, you know, you know how hard you need to work and you know, all these things that you need to do, getting past the guilt of not doing them and realizing that taking that time is really an investment to come back stronger and more focused and not feel guilty about it. Oh, I struggled with that completely. And I'll probably struggle with it a bit. Uh, you know, at, at the new venture, but at least I'm more aware of it. I've kind of seen how, you know, uh, other people did it because, you know, my experience before that was exact target where, you know, nobody really took vacation. Everybody was just, you know, that, that, you know, aggressive, hard worker thing. And so, you know, you kind of felt guilty and it also kind of trained us to, you know, you never want to be the person who didn't respond to an email at 11 o'clock at night, you know, and you see other people doing it. So, it wasn't that they didn't put that pressure on anybody. They were actually really good about, you know, saying, Hey, we want you guys to have a balanced life. We want you, you know, do these things, but you just hire a bunch of those, you know, type a, you know, type people that are, you know, super motivated and driven and it, it, that culture kind of creates itself. Right. And you almost need to step in and say, you know, and I, I again, I think they did a good job of saying, Hey, this is not, this is not expected of you. You know, if that's how you're wired, then do it, but don't do it because you think, you know, that that's what we want you to do. You know, we, we do want you spending time with your families. We do want you having that balance. You know, they had enough foresight and vision to know that, you know, doing that will keep you around longer and operating at a higher level than, you know, just running as fast as you can until you can't do it anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, I, as you say that, I'm, you know, I'm hopeful for you and it sounds like a good goal as you stand up like a new company to, yeah, to really be in touch with that and to do that a different way. And I, I think that's the whole point, like the evolution that we talk about is like, even if things go well, the first time we know, like we don't do everything perfectly. And um, 
there's a lot lot of room for growth. So I appreciate your your humility there. Yeah, I mean, I'm still learning a ton from Mark and, and other people. I hang out with Mike Kelly uh, quite a bit, and every time I talk to him too, I'm like, "How do you know that? Why do you know that?" You know, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it just blows me away. I mean, there, there's there's just so many brilliant people if you're willing to ask and and listen and and pay attention that are you know willing to just kind of share and. Uh, you know, to your point of, of, you know, kind of your journey, you know, we, we've all learned things along our path. I'm always happy to, you know, help people or just give them my opinion. They can do whatever they want with it. Yeah. You know, but I'm sure I'll make a ton of mistakes in, in the future and, and, you know, you just try to learn from them, not repeat them. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to get in touch with you and your new secret venture, what, where would you point them? Probably just keep an eye on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, we'll probably, we'll probably see a change there first and then more news to follow. Awesome. Thanks Greg so much for your time today and your story. I really appreciate having you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's interview to view show notes or hear more episodes. Please visit www.savagetosage.com. 